Kora. Welcome to Insight. I'm Philippa Tolley. And in the midst of Christmas present buying, this Insight heads to the shops. The predictions not so long ago were that online purchasing would become the foremost way to shop and the way of doing things would change forever. But in the last year, there's been a resurgence in shopping in actual bricks and mortar stores. So, is this a sign of the way ahead? The first day of trade in the British chain Top Shop in Wellington last month, which followed the opening of Top Australian department store David Jones in the capital, the first for the firm outside its home country. The establishment of these big players in Wellington followed major fashion names Zara and H&M setting up shop in Sylvia Park in Auckland. This insight asks why are these stores choosing New Zealand now and will shopping precincts continue to be reinvigorated? The surge of shopping at Christmas time is often the annual make or break moment for many stores, and retailers are all hopeful of streets full of enthusiastic shoppers. Chris Wilkinson is the managing director of a consultancy firm that aims to help towns and cities develop their shopping vibrancy. He says opportunity is returning to the shopping industry. The challenges that many businesses have faced in terms of online uh, have now stabilised. Many businesses are understanding and embracing best practice in what we would call omni-channel retailing, so that's across the online and the in-store experience. And consumers are probably returning some of the goodwill back to traditional retailers that may have escaped over the last possible decade. But those overseas players are also driving some of the buoyancy. An associate professor, Jonathan Elms, holds the Sir Stephen Tyndall Chair of Retail Management at Massey University's Business School in Auckland. Over a coffee, he told me about why he thought big overseas retailers had decided to make the jump to New Zealand. I think it's the last terrain. Um, you know, we've had very good success for international retailers in Australia and in Asia, and they're looking for what else is out there. Um, and New Zealand is the, the last obvious step. Um, I think you know, Kiwi shoppers are very sophisticated, they're very different from Australian consumers, very different from Asian consumers, so retailers have been weighing up and making the right choices uh, to make sure that they enter at the right time. Chris Wilkinson says for many big retailers it was a logical choice. Many of them are exhausting their growth potential in their home areas or they've reached maturity there and they're now starting to look out, outside. Some are coming here as company-owned businesses like H&M. Zara is uh, another company-owned business. But the likes of Topshop have come in through partnerships with Barker's Menswear and Karen Walker. So each of these businesses is coming on on different, different models. Big businesses like Adairs in Australia, a homeware chain opening up through New Zealand, they have reached saturation in Australia and, of course, those markets are pretty tough anyway. But there are still some players holding back. The General Manager of Public Affairs for Retail NZ, Greg Harford, says while New Zealand's relatively strong economy has been attractive to overseas retailers in fashion and homewares, new supermarket players have been keeping their powder dry. 
Look, I think, I think New Zealand is, is a reason, reasonably open market. The opportunity is certainly there for others to enter. Um, I can't speak for, for why uh, they're not here, but we've certainly heard reports. Um, there have been rumours circulating for a long time that LD is poised to enter the New Zealand market. Um, that hasn't eventuated as yet, but um, I'm, I'm sure they're looking at their options. But while retail spaces have been filling up, shopping online and offshore is not standing still. The Bank of New Zealand's latest online retail trade report indicates spending was up 14% compared with the same month last year, showing a continuation of the strong trend in recent months. Online retail sales at local sites were up 11%, while online retail sales at offshore sites were described as very strong and up 17% on last October. But Jonathan Elms believes forecasts of the swing to online purchasing and the erosion of the bricks-and-mortar shopping experience have been overstated, and he has a view about the future balance between online and in-store shopping. I project, and others have projected, that consumers will do about 33% of their shopping online, but the remaining 66% is going to be in stores. Um, I think the interaction between people's online and physical behaviour is going to be a lot more acute in the future. Um, And we're seeing evidence at the moment that 50% of people's in-store experiences and buying behaviour is affected by what they do online. And whether that's searching, whether that's purchasing, all the things coming together. And that's that's quite radical um, and much more than we've seen ever before. Um, I think stores, however, are still central and extremely important. you know, people enjoy the have enjoyment from shopping in the physical environment. It's a social experience. It's a it's part of our leisure time. That resurgence in the bricks and mortar retail sector is expected to be sustained in the new year, despite a possible temporary hit from last month's Kaikoura earthquake. The most recent official numbers show retail sales volumes in the three months end of September rising a seasonally adjusted 0.9%, giving an annual rate of 5.1%. Statistics New Zealand's Neil Kelly says overall the growth trend is still strong and there was a robust result in the previous quarter. June was quite strong, so up 2.2%, so seeing that growth continuing is a good strong picture. Overall, how does the, the last year's quarterly figures compare to the same time the year ago? Year on year, in actual terms, uh, up 4.7% for the year. He says the trend over the last five years also indicates how sales volumes are growing. At the moment, we're on just over $21 billion. Um, if I wind the clock back five years to, say, June 2011... Back at that time, it was $16.7 billion. So, yep, there's been a reasonably strong increase over that period of time. Make home your happy place this Christmas at Briscoe's. A familiar part of New Zealand's homewares scene, Briscoe's, has tried to work the physical and digital together to make the best of both outlets. The company's e-commerce and consumer insights general manager, David Hughes, believes the two parts of retail are now inextricably intertwined, with most physical stores having a digital presence and previously purely online stores now recognising the value of bricks and mortar to brand promotion. He says Briscoe's has tried to make sure it's not duplicating its efforts. We're picking and packing web orders from within our stores, and that is something I think that really makes a difference between a retailer such as Briscoe's and um, a retailer whereby they've got a distribution centre because then you're starting to spread your inventory 
over multiple locations. For Briscoe's, we didn't sort of look at it and go, we need to really focus heavily on digital. It was we need to make digital fit the business and also fit the bricks and mortar business as well and be a part of the wider business. As a leading retailer, Briscoe's balance between digital and the physical appears to be a success. But shops are not thriving everywhere and many in the regions are struggling. Ross Byers has been successfully running his business in New Plymouth for 40 years, selling and repairing watches and jewellery. Transformed this about 13 and a half years ago, and most of our jewellery is on the f- showcases on the bottom, and we have cl- mainly clocks and a few few gift lines on the walls. People still buy watches and clocks. We sell a lot of clocks. We've got a big range of clocks, and we're no- known for our clocks, and and the watches too. We have like every day we'd sell a watch and a clock. You know, we're independent, and I'm staunchly um, in favour of that because we've done the same for over years we don't and not in no buying group or anything like that and all our product is chosen by us what we think the customer would like not sent to us from head office or whatever. Ross Byers puts his survival down to creating a business that combines service and retail in his case the repair side along with clock and watch sales. But in the decades since the shop opened in the 70s he's seen the neighbours around him change. A lot of retailers, have, um, general retailers have gone, but you've got a lot of food places opened up, and food places seem to be the growth area. Retail NZ's Greg Harford confirms that, as with so much else, Auckland is the area pulling ahead. We're certainly finding um, that retailer confidence is strongest in places like Auckland, uh, Bay of Plenty, even into uh, the Waikato where there's strong population growth. Um, House prices, I think, have driven a lot of consumer confidence in those areas. Um, Out in the regions, um, uh, even in Canterbury, uh, in Christchurch and Wellington, um, retailers perhaps aren't quite as confident as they are in other parts of the country. But whether it's a case of regional economic decline or the pull of semi-industrial retail parks set up away from the town centre, a consultant, Chris Wilkinson, says the successful shopping centres are each fighting back in their own way. With many councils, potentially elected officials aren't as aware of the challenges that business owners and the economy is facing. This has meant that that retail hasn't been prioritised, yet The town centres and CBDs are very much the heart of their community and they are important both from a commercial standpoint but also from a social standpoint. And when you have decay and challenges going on in your CBD, it's it's very evident that is affecting people's commercial confidence in terms of investing there. It affects people thinking that they might live there, but also we've seen significant social issues happening in in those towns. But even in the cities, the retail resurgence and increasing numbers of overseas chains choosing to set up shop here is seen by some as a bit of a double-edged sword. I'm Nicola Cranfield, and I'm currently running Cranfield's store, which has been running or going for 25 years now. And we're probably a little bit different to most retail stores and that we're a boutique who really tries to emphasise working with New Zealand-based craftspeople. This boutique furniture and homeware store sits just across the road on a side street that also borders the new David Jones department store. Nicola Cranfield loves the new energy the store has brought to this retail area, 
but she's wary of the downsides. Well, Wellington's obviously really buoyant and we're grateful for the extra folk that come through into the CBD and we do feel that. I mean, these new international chains have got big marketing budgets and, and they're definitely pulling a lot more folk into the city, which is great. Our challenge is with the increased foot traffic, the rents do become... Yeah, a lot more serious. So um, that brings its own challenges because we have such a different cost structure to, say, an international brand that controls its manufacturing. We work with the artists and craftspeople, often in New Zealand, who are getting paid or should be paid fairly, which we want to do, and we're not about to start squeezing them for, for rebates. Collier's International is a company which specialises in commercial rents and an associate, Ty Dallas, says players such as David Jones are raising the bar in both demand and expectations of what a good retail space should look like. We're just uh, inundated with Australian retailers at the moment wanting space not only in Wellington but in Auckland and Christchurch. In essence, what they're saying, if it's good enough for David Jones to uh, invest in Wellington, uh, perhaps we should consider a similar presence in the various cities around New Zealand. He says the demand and low vacancy rates are both putting pressure on rents and landlords are unlikely to be factoring in loyalty to long-term tenants. I think in business there's not a great deal of room for being sentimental, um, unfortunately. And uh, the reality is that if someone's prepared to pay more for that space, uh, landlords tend to be fairly pragmatic. Retail academic Jonathan Elms says the demands for property for all sectors, not just shops, is going to grow. There'll be bigger and bigger pressure on the big cities and the bigger towns um, because of space needing to be prioritised because of the growing population. I think retailers, as well as other businesses, have to become more savvy in terms of their property. Property's going to have to work harder because it's going to be more expensive. We are going to see much more mixed use um, of property, so residential combined with retail combined with um, um, hospitality and as a, as a mixed space. And again, I think that's a positive thing because it adds more vibrancy. It's, it brings communities together, whether that's urban or rural communities together. Nicola Cranfield would like to see a change in the rules that allow low-cost overseas purchases to avoid GST. And that's an area where Greg Harford says Retail NZ is still pushing for change. The simple, simplest and best solution uh, to the, the GST problem is to require foreign retailers to register for New Zealand GST. That way GST would be paid at the same time that you're buying the product, just like it is if you're buying something from a New Zealand website, and the good, goods could then cross the border uh, without, without any delay. Um, it's certainly not a perfect solution, but we do know that the top 20 international uh, retailers account for two-thirds of the volume of low-value goods coming into New Zealand, so you could deal with a very large chunk of the problem are relatively simply. He says the issue will only get more pointed when Australia scraps its $1,000 threshold for GST on goods bought overseas in July next year, creating an uneven playing field between here and our neighbours across the Tasman. Auckland is the focus of most of New Zealand's new development and has had the biggest influx of new players from offshore. If the long-standing rumours ever turned out to be true and the Swedish homeware store IKEA opened here, it would be based in Auckland. 
but the retail scene in the country's largest city is made up of more than well-known shopping streets and big malls. It has suburban centres that also have to find a way to survive. Onihanga was established in the 1860s and has heritage as a point of difference to other shopping districts. But it too has struggled to compete as new forms of shopping swept in, be it online or the nearby malls of Sylvia Park or Newmarket to the north. But it's now found a niche. Uh, we're out in Onihanga Mall Road, so it's not Onihanga Mall in the traditional sense that people think now, which is a closed-in environment. We're a street um, shopping centre, a strip shopping centre. Um, we do have a mall here which is Dress Mart, but around me you've got Sewing Machine World, which is something completely different. Here they sell sewing machines, so distributor, but they do quilting classes and they do sewing classes and have um, all these amazing things that they actually produce. Amanda Kinzett is the Onihanga Town Manager for the local business association and she says the Auckland suburb is now competing with semi-industrial retail parks and covered malls on its own terms. We need to be different. We cannot be uh, outside Westfield because if people have the choice, then on a day like this, which is a bit rainy, um, I think most people would prefer to be inside where it's, it's warm. But... Um, the difference is on the outside you have that experience of being on the outside and just um, experiencing the community, the, the whole length of that community. She believes people are starting to increasingly value that sense of somewhere local, their own village they can get to easily and where there are jobs for those living locally. They're coming back to things like town centres. People are coming back to try and feel connected to something. Um, I think the problem is our life's so busy that we don't have connection with people, we don't have those neighbours and that neighbourhood thing. But that's something that Onihanga does have because the people want that. So we have a town centre, we have a very strong community centre, we have things like community patrols where people volunteer, we've got neighbourhood support services, all by volunteers from this community. And in New Plymouth, they've also recognised the value of heritage and making the most of unique attributes. The chief executive of the Taranaki Chamber of Commerce, Richard Williams, says the point of difference for them has been the Len Lai Centre, which opened last year. As he walks alongside the centre, Richard Williams talks about its success and how its establishment has led to surrounding areas being reinvigorated. Reflected in the... Uh, stainless steel glass, if you know, is the uh, old iconic um, White Heart building, which has been developed into a number of uh, very successful businesses and is forming a key part of what's now known as the West End Precinct uh, here in New Plymouth, which is a, a wonderful retail and hospitality area, which has uh, really taken the, the um, captured the imagination of the city and is becoming the place to be. Before, I mean, if we're looking at what was the uh, Gavet Brewster Art Gallery, which has, had become dated, and then there was an old building that was formed part of a number of small, very minor, low-end retail. The White Hart Hotel was virtually derelict. I was fortunate enough to go around it around about eight years ago, and there were holes in the floor, and it was almost a case of behind the facade, it was very, very rickety. But fortunately, the owners uh, got together a consortium and have, and have saved it, and it is now a very, very beautiful building. One of the retailers who's chosen to set up shop here is Kate McFarlane, who runs the fashion boutique Avu. 
We wanted to be in a space that um, was as much about, um, I don't know, the authenticity or the actual environment, the whole um, feel of the shop as much as what we had in it. And so I guess in terms of fit out, um, like, you know, the, all the ceiling is original and we, it was a real process going through that to maintain it, that we didn't have to cover it for earthquake. You know, it's a lot of bracing in here that actually in the end mended we could keep it um, keep it out because it's all part of the aesthetic of the store. Um, a lot of the um, exposed ducting and everything relates to the hotel rooms above us. So we haven't tried to cover any of those working things up. We're in the old public bar. So this is, you know where the, the motorcycles used to park outside and, and come in and drink. And, and we, you know, we have people coming in all the time that remember it as the space and will say, I remember the fight that happened just over there, you know, and oh, I actually couldn't tell you what we used to do in here. You know, it's, it's really quite interesting. But while some regional centres are finding success, others are still struggling. We've got these unique little shops that are opening, but because the rents are so much less to be in a different area they aren't coming to these precincts and they're not filling the empty shops so we are finding it'll be shop 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 empty shop shop empty shop and that's not the best look in the city centre coordinator Carrie Graber says the success of the retail sector in the South Island city of 52,000 residents is pretty mixed Invercargill grew to be a significant regional centre on the back of gold and rural riches, and between the world wars rivalled Whanganui as the largest town outside of the four main centres. But now it's fighting to keep growing as a dynamic centre, and Kari Graber says the city's retail sector is feeling it. Overall the feeling is that it's tough, and every retailer I've talked to has said over the last two years their sales have been dropping, and it's consistent. Those two years have just, each year's gone down more, and there isn't any sign of a recovery. And that's the scariest thing. Um, They are pretty much at their wit's end and don't know what to try. Those sentiments are echoed by the owner of Goody Two Shoes, a boutique shop that's been running in Invercargill for 28 years. Its co-owner, Jan Blee, worries about how spread out the shopping area has been allowed to become and the efforts of landlords to keep buildings up to scratch. Despite those gripes, she loves retail, has carved out a niche market and thrown herself into the digital world. It's also looking at the bigger picture. It's not just about me. It's about the city. It's about having something that's a little bit different and interesting and and of quality and bringing good quality things in. And people still like to shop at the small, the business and the personal touch. We don't want a, a a city full of big national chain stores. We just don't. We want to have the little, you know, the little um, boutique kind of stores and this makes it much more interesting. She believes the city centre can be turned around and an effort to rejuvenate the region and the city has just been launched under the fighting spirit title of Swords. The Invercargill City Council and Swords have been doing a lot of work on establishing vibrant urban centres. But it's not just foot traffic and the lack of vibrancy that needs tackling. Kari Graber says many buildings are owned by people from out of town and agents aren't always working the hardest to negotiate to make it work for both sides and get shops filled. A local businesswoman, part of the vibrant urban centre team, Joss O'Donnell, says the city faces the same dilemma as other regional centres with many heritage buildings that are in need of significant, expensive upgrading. 
I think it's time that we had a really good hard look at the CBD. I mean, there's certain buildings that have been left um, to pretty much rot from the inside out. We've got to find a way and make some decisions about which of the buildings that we feel really strongly need to be kept and developed and which ones can come down. So, And then we've been looking very hard at what the things are that need to be bought into the CBD. We think the arts will be transformationable if we can bring the arts into the CBD. Um, and again, that is just creating more interest in foot traffic. While there are plans afoot for the physical surrounds, the retailers themselves are also being encouraged to step up. Curry Graver says few have a digital presence, such as a website or a Facebook page. But given all that, she's still upbeat about what might be achieved. There's a big drive by the entire community to get the city fixed. People are, they aren't proud of their city actually, but they want to be. A city is like a heart, so if you get your heart strong, then the blood will flow out, and I think that's where we've kind of lost the focus. So now people are thinking, well, yeah, actually, maybe we do need to make the heart strong, and then we can worry about that exterior area. But is there a chance that in the end, digital will win out? Chris Wilkinson believes that while it might not be online sales that dominate, digital will still be a retailer's key priority. Not only in terms of being able to deliver through a digital channel. That means people being able to buy online. But most importantly, that visibility, because this is where this journey is starting. And the businesses that are digitally visible and have digital priority in the consumer's mind and view are the ones that are going to see success. David Hughes from Briscoe's never believed we were all going to be doing our shopping from the couch, but he does see major digital changes on the horizon. The big one that I see is, is augmented reality, and that's, that's different to virtual reality. Augmented reality is a good example of that is the likes of Google Glasses or Google Glass, where you can wear a pair of spectacles that will pop things out in front of you as, as you walk around. So, for instance, you walk into a retail store, I think like a supermarket's a good example, um, and if you have a personal profile that's set up that you want to see specials or certain type of product, um, that would that would produce a series of call-outs as you walk around the store. So personalisation and augmentation will become really important, particularly personalisation uh, and your ability to, to talk to your retailer in a way that's more meaningful. Whatever changes are ahead, the importance of retail to the overall economy is significant. Retail NZ's Greg Harford says a thriving shopping scene has social value as well as economic. Retail's huge for the New Zealand economy. Um, there's about $80 billion worth of turnover in retail every year. That's something like two and a half times the size of the tourism sector. So it's really critical that, that retail continues to succeed and thrive into the future. Um, but, but aside from the, the basic economics, there's kind of a social value that uh, retail has. Um, town centres, uh, the centres of our communities are effectively underpinned by retail shops. They're a place where people go to do their business together, um, perhaps in the same way that the post office was 20, 30 years ago. Um, retail is really important to keeping the fabric of our community together. Despite the business challenges, Wellington store owner Nicola Cranfield is upbeat about the prospects of her shop and online store surviving for the next 25 years. Yeah, no, we're excited about the next phase and it's pretty amazing when you look back on where we've come in 25 years so, no, retail is a lot of fun and the, the people that support us, we're so grateful and the conversations we have in the store and, and um, no, it's a, I feel positive about the future.
I'm Philippa Tolley and that's Insight for this week. If you'd like to get in touch or share your thoughts on this programme, we'd love to hear from you. You can email us at insight at radionz.co.nz. Our Twitter handle is at insightrnz. I wrote and presented that programme. It was produced by Gail Woods and Teresa Cowie with technical production by Dan Bebbin. That's it from Insight for 2016, but we're back at the end of January with more in-depth journalism. Until then, head to iTunes or radionz.co.nz forward slash insight for some great summer podcasts. Thanks for listening and see you next year. (laughs) 